and welcome back to another episode of Green Jeans. I am your one co-host, Annika Van Rossum. My pronouns are she, her, and I am joined by my other lovely co-host. Maya Van Rossum, also she, her. And if you couldn't tell by our last names, we are related and we are a mother-daughter duo who does activism. And our podcast is talking about important issues um, about environmental and social justice through a generational lens, because I have been doing activism for only 25 years, as long as I've been alive, and my mom has been doing it for way, way longer. And somehow, some way, we're still fighting the same issues, because people don't pay- listen. So we're trying to bring awareness to that. So welcome to our podcast. Come join, follow, all that good stuff. Um, so mom, do you have a fact check for us this week? I do. First, I just want to remind people that my last name has always been my last name throughout the entirety of my activism. So <laughs> and my daughter took on my last name by choice. So I don't want anybody to think that I changed my last name midlife because of marrying anybody. I did not. <laughs> so I don't know. It matters to me. Um, Okay, so often people want to know who, what state has the most polluted waters? Um, and this is a very difficult question, frankly, because it depends on what you're looking at um, to define that. Are you looking at lakes? Are you looking at rivers and streams? Are you looking at wetlands? Are you looking at everything? Um, so there isn't truthfully any one answer. I think the most important thing um, to know though that every, every single state across the nation suffers from pollution and degradation when it comes to our waterways. And that's because the way our, our laws are written, they're written in order to actually legalize um, environmental pollution and degradation, including pollution of our waterways. Um, and while the Clean Water Act was actually written back in the 70s, early 70s, um, or passed in the early 70s, to say that all waterways should be fishable and swimmable by 1986, um, we have not accomplished that goal, number one. And number two, fishable and swimmable does not mean not polluted. It just <laughs> means a level of pollution that will allow people to swim and fish our waterways. Um, so anyway, with that sort of as a little bit of a backdrop, I do just want to say that, uh, oh, and one of the things that the Clean Water Act requires in order for us to know whether or not, um, what is the status of our waterways in terms of whether or not they meet legal standards that have been put in place, i.e. the level of pollution that we have legalized or not, states are required to assess their waterways. And up until the mid 19, 90s, actually, no states implemented that part of the Clean Water Act. And then my Delaware Riverkeeper Network organization actually brought three of the first five lawsuits in the nation that said, hey, this important part of the Clean Water Act is not being implemented. Our waterways are not, our states are not assessing the quality of their waterways. And we won a number of those lawsuits and um, help spark a national movement for, for those kinds of initiatives to force states to actually what they call assess their waterways for their level of pollution and degradation. Um, and assess, more than that, assess whether or not their waterways are meeting water quality standards set by the state. So uh, yes, it's all very complicated, but nonetheless, it does give us some measure of how our states are doing. And the environmental um, integrity 
project actually put out a report this past week looking at states and assessed waterways and trying to give people a sense of the status of water quality in their state. And they did a really thorough job. Um, anybody who is interested in this, go to environmentalintegrity.org and you can um, see how your state rates. But, you know, one of the, frankly, I thought it was quite shocking because it is one of the states of the Delaware River watershed. The state that came off, in my opinion, looking the worst was the state of Delaware which according to this report, when you're looking at rivers and streams, not looking at all kinds of waterways, again, not necessarily looking at estuaries and lakes and bays, but when you're looking mm -hmm. at rivers and streams, the state of Delaware has the highest percentage of rivers and streams that have been identified as impaired. Yeah. That means that they do not meet their state water quality standards. What that, um, and what is that percentage? 97%, of the state's rivers and streams do not meet legal water quality standards. Thank goodness we've got a green amendment that is advancing in the state of Delaware. And if you want to learn more about that, www.de for Delaware, degreenamendment.org. Because while um, state regulators including the head of the Department of Natural Resources and Environmental Control, see, like to suggest that they're doing a bang up job and they don't need a constitutional right to a clean and healthy environment in their state because they're doing so great when it comes to environmental protection. It seems to me that this environmental integrity project suggests otherwise. You know, I just, I think it's just really funny whenever like state agencies and all that I'm like, we're doing a great job. We don't need this. And I just really want to check them on the like, you know, that the Clean Water Act and the things that you guys were like, the age of environmentalism happened in the 70s. And we're still here, guys. And it's getting worse. And that is the theme of this podcast is that it's like, hello, in 1970, when well, I guess you were young then, but like, 90s when you were an activist you were raising the alarm bells about this stuff too that was like hi hello there's all this research and the stuff we're doing right now clearly isn't solving it and you guys clearly aren't fixing it so that's why I'm here and then now almost 30 years later it's like my generation too is like hi hello impending doom you've had this information for a really 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 long time could you do something and, I and in never, fact, yeah, I, well, I just want to say the reason why we have this information for Delaware, for Pennsylvania and for New Jersey is because of those lawsuits brought by the Delaware Riverkeeper Network yep. back in the mid 1990s. So the only reason why we actually know about this is because, as you said, organizations like mine brought legal actions to force the states to collect the data to yeah. even know what was going on. And as you said, and now here we are decades later, and not only is this data, um, you know, proving that the, that, that, that there continues to be a problem. But as you say, I mean, it, it doesn't look like it's getting better if 97% of the rivers That's and streams, it's a, a huge big, number. It's not even like, not that it would matter, but I'm like, I, if they said it's 50%, I'm like, all right, at least you have room to rig wiggle. Cause you're like, it's 50%. Like it could go this way. It could go that way. But 97% is a pretty clear number guys. 
Yeah. Um, and you know what, what's really gross is one of the things in the news reports is like they, they were comparing states and they're saying, well, you know, they were suggesting that Pennsylvania was in good shape um, because Pennsylvania, only 30% of their river and stream miles, 30% also is a really, if a third of your rivers and streams do not meet the, 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 you know, the state standards, that's a big number. And remember, it doesn't mean that those waterways are not polluted. It just means that their pollution levels are lower than what the government is allowing industry to put into our waterways. Which is why everybody listening to this podcast is going to go support green amendments because it is exceptionally vital to changing the laws and why any politician who maybe if you're listening to this goes, I'm against green amendments, you guys are crazy and clearly don't care about the environment. But that's a perfect segue into our guest for today. Who's our guest? So we have Annette Olson, who is the founder of Climate Steps, and her movement is all about individualized action, but also how like we have to come together and how I, I don't want to I don't want to take because she's gonna explain it really well. But again, like I always say on this podcast that we are here to inspire hope and change. And even if we talk about really deep, scary stuff, like the 97%, that is a really scary number. But I think the points Annette is going to bring is going to be really inspiring to a lot of people. And hopefully everyone walks away really hopeful. So as always, we're going to let Annette do her intro, but I'm going to bring her into the Zoom room. Hi. Okay. <laughs> here we go. Live. Here you are. Hi, Annette. <laughs> How are you? Good. So Good. you've had a little bit of time to communicate with Annika. I'm Maya. It's so nice to meet you. And nice we're so to meet you. You're here. Thanks. Thanks. Um, I'm glad I was able to make it. Um, obviously, I've had a, a eye issue, and uh, um, yes, but it's feeling fine today. So um, yeah, emergency eye surgery is never fun. But oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Well, you are definitely dedicated. If you are after that, still coming on to spread the important word that you are working so hard to spread. Thanks, thanks. Um, yeah, um, I'm loving this work and it's very needed. So um, yeah, it's I've changed my life for it. So it's becoming, uh, it's definitely the center. So we um, always do, Annette, that's perfect. So we never like to steal our guests thunder when they come on and we want everyone <laughs> to highlight what they want to about themselves. Yeah. So I gave a little bit about who you are and um, that Good. you founded Climate Steps. But if you want to explain like, you know, who you are, how you got here and, you know, we'll get into it. But if, if you want to give your own spicy intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'll go ahead and give a little bit because I think it shows the power of an individual in action. And um, so I was raised on a farm in Texas. I became a field biologist. Um, I saw deforestation a lot when I worked in Africa. Um, and then it kind of changed my life. And so, but what I went into were typical careers in the federal government trying to apply science to environmental issues and education. And they were great. They were absolutely great jobs. Um, 25 year career or something like that. Um, but then always climate change was in the back of my mind and that more was needed, um, definitely more. 
And so about six years ago, two friends took me to lunch. It was right after a certain election, like the week after a certain election. And they wanted to know uh, how they could fight climate change. Because um, as an environmental scientist, but also a blogger, I had been writing a lot about um, this and putting my comments in Facebook and um, also methods for fighting climate change. Um, so we had a great lunch. We talked about all these different things people can do, like from joining a bike share to um, you know, uh, writing your representative, which is very typical. Um, and they suggested I start a blog. So I did um, called Climate Steps, but the need for it grew. Um, people were joining the Facebook group. People wanted more information. I kept seeing the same question out there on social media, like, what can I do to fight climate change? And being a scientist, I wanted to get the real facts out there and the more impactful actions out there. And plus, I was a little frustrated with glossy magazines saying, oh, you should recycle and uh, talk to your representative and just being very kind of dismissive in a way. Um, and, you know, there's a, there is a lot of impact that can be done by those two things, but there are other things that yield more impact sometimes. So I wanted to get those out there. So, um, formed a board, we decided, you know, to go nonprofit. We um, are now out there as a nonprofit organization and growing still. And it's it's great. But I quit my job two years ago to work on this full time. So I blame Amy, who was one of those people who took <laughs> me to lunch. But just the fact that she raised this question, you know, changed my life and changed, um, you know, and for, yielded climate steps. And so I'm always coming to her for advice. Um, she's on the board now. So she didn't know she was going to wind up on the board, but she's on the board now. So, yeah. I love that. I love how just like going to, I feel like so many of these stories, it's always like, it started with a cup of coffee or a walk yeah. around the neighborhood and it's just life-changing. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I actually just posted in LinkedIn, uh, my life has been very variable. Um, I think so many of us feel like we have a prescribed path that we kind of have to take. We have a career that we have to follow and everything. Um, I've jumped around in my career and I've really benefited from it. Um, so, um, I mean, I stuck it out at some places, definitely. You have to do that to learn, but, um, you know, it's, there are options out there, um, especially in climate change now. Climate change, so many jobs in the future are going to relate to climate change, you know, um, so, so I think a lot of people could start looking in that field for um, future careers. That's great. That's and so in your in your website bio, like you do, and I'm just curious. So you talk about that you were a researcher, a strategist, a scientific liaison, <laughs> outreach specialist for federal agencies and nonprofits. And I really love that you talk about that your life hasn't been a set path, even though people prescribe it that way. Because I've found too as finishing up my third year of law school, they really like rail on us, like 
get a good job, obviously like get one that pays really well and right. don't take a pay cut and know your worth. But it's very, I'm actually surprised that a lot of the pushing for government jobs are very like specific law track. And so many students when I'm like, why wouldn't you want to be an activist? Or why wouldn't you want to try to do that thing that I've heard you mention a couple times you're passionate about? Mm-hmm. Like I have a classmate who he's like, I don't think I want to protect the environment through the law, but I want to do homesteading and I want to teach people how to live sustainably off the land. And I was just wondering if you could speak to like how that in your life journey, kind of switching all these careers, but you know, like you found your passion in protecting the planet in this very different way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did. I mean, there were, I think one of the factors was um, I'm kind of in a, I wouldn't say an opinionated person. I say I'm an opinionated scientist. And so I I wound up in and and I had a mentor. um, So working in the federal government, a lot of it, and and then a nonprofit, um, a lot of it was, oh, you're going to work your way up into higher management. And um, you've got this path before you where you're going to, um, you know, start managing these projects. But I kept finding it was taking me more and more away from the science and from working with people. And plus, um, you know, I wanted to be kind of my own boss um, as well. But having said that, um, I am stretched financially for funds while forming climate steps. We're, We're really just now, because now we've, so our new website comes out next month. And it's really going to showcase what Climate Steps is all about. So once that gets out, we're going to be fundraising. But in the meantime, uh, I'm living on rental income and uh, renting out rooms in my house um, and some donations and, and things like that. But the real fundraising hasn't begun. And so there is that what's often called in a career, the valley of death. So it's basically, (laughs) okay, you come up with this great project and you, you start throwing all your might into it, but, oh, now you have no money. And then you're, you're trying to make it across the valley of death before you get funding. So that's where I am in the valley of death. So So let me tell you, I just want you to know that I can definitely uh, empathize. So while my Delaware Riverkeeper Network organization has been around um, for decades and their funding is solid, the the work I do advancing this idea of constitutional environmental rights is very new. And so I must say that I am joining you in Green Amendments for the Generations, joining you in that valley of death because (laughs) like your great movement, there's so much interest and enthusiasm. But as you said, it takes time for the funders to catch on. And so I really hope people will go to, even though you're going to have a big push, you know, for, for your work, soon. Uh-huh. That doesn't mean that people can't go to climatesteps.org and start supporting you now because yeah. it's just amazing for people, right? Like when you click on this website, just to describe it to people, when you click, and then I'm going to ask you what a climate step is. But first, right. I right. want people to know, like you <laughs> open this instantly and you see all these topics, buildings, outside, parents and teachers, politics, social community, transportation, travel, resources, action plans, partners, right? And so clearly 
there the, there's this immense array of pathways yeah. for anybody with any interest to pursue a climate step. But now we need to know what is a climate step and why should people go here, right? And what are they going to learn? And then of course, while you're there, everybody, make sure you push the donate button because that's there too. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, no, that would be great because, in, well, first in order to fundraise, we need the time and the people to help fundraise. And so I have a volunteer fundraiser, but what I need to do is I'm paying researchers small amounts of con small contracts to help fill in the information. So by doing that, I can focus my time on fundraising and finishing the strategic plan and um, 2.0. We had a strategic plan 1.0, but now it's 2.0 because we're taking it to the next level. So climate step is basically a means for an individual or family to, or a community to really take action in the climate fight. Um, and to, it can be, I, I should go back. We have a whole page with a definition of climate steps that one of our volunteers wrote up, um, but it's, it's a way to um, take impactful action and it can be small, it can be large, it can be personal, it can be political, it could be social. It's a, a step, a manageable step that somebody can take. Um, we follow the rules kind of like um, of SMART. Have y'all heard of S-M-A-R-T? So you stole, is, my, you stole my question because I was about oh, to say, can you describe SMART is because I read the act and I was like, that's cool. I have to ask her about that. Yeah. So tell her what SMART is. Yeah. So SMART um, is a way to really define what your climate step is going to be. It's going to be specific. It's going to be measurable. Like I'm going to bike to work two days a week. It's um, time bound for the next six months. You know. Um, and it's actionable. It's really something that it's not vague, like, oh, I'm going to recycle more. It's like, I'm going to recycle um, aluminum cans six days a week or something like that. I don't really want to use recycle as a, as a example, but I'm going to comment on public regulations, which is a big climate step. And um, so, and it's realistic. So, you define a climate step as something that's doable for you and your family or community to work together on. Um, and it's also something that is going to be impactful and mindful of the fact that people are already starting to suffer around the world. And so we, there's a goal behind it. You know, we are wanting to help the planet. Um, so that's kind of, did that answer your question? Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. And um, yeah. So one of the main kind of things I've come into is that a lot of people out there in the climate action realm think of individual action as um, personal action, like oh, I'm going to uh, buy an electric vehicle, or I'm going to um, um, you know buy electric appliances instead of gas. And those are in, impactful actions, but a lot of people feel like we need collective action to really 
bring things to scale. And that's true, but what they're equating, they're equating individual uh, action with just personal action, but individual action is much bigger. It can be, I'm gonna start a movement. I'm going to form a community garden. I'm going to talk to my town council. Um, you know, so there are, the goal for Climate Steps basically is to show these options for people and that there's really way more out there that you can do that's good stuff that, you know, it's beyond um, talking to your representative. Um, I live in Washington, DC, so we don't even have congressional representatives. Oh yeah. So what, you know, that doesn't really do me any good. Um, so I wanted to know what else can we do? Uh, who else can we talk to? Um, yeah. I really um, like that. And I, I feel like the way, the way you describe it and the way you describe your concept is so unique and honestly reading your website and reading through everything is not a way I even thought about individualized action like I did always think about my my climate step was me doing my own thing and that me right. joining movements was like a separate thing and I really grew up in the age of the industry doing that whole like well the planet's right. dying because you didn't recycle my plastic water bottle that you bought for me right and I remember a classmate of mine making that comment like well individual action doesn't matter because the company's still making 500 water bottles every second yeah and it was so like I was like that's so sad but the way you describe it is so like hopeful and I feel like so much bigger yeah, we have a lot of power, actually. And that's another thing that people, um, that's not getting out there. So for instance, I have a researcher right now who's pulling together information on all the corporations who have sustainability managers so that you can write a corporation or you can ask for a tour of a corporation and see what they're doing. Um, you can organize tours of your neighborhood to find issues, but also to find solutions. Like these are different things that communities or households have done. There, there's a lot out there um, and we're still finding more, of course. One of the things about Climate Steps now is, um, so we've been hosting these and we still have a lot to put in, but there now some people are getting a little overwhelmed with the choices. Um, oh, what do I do first? And they want to know priorities. Um, and so there's a great organization out there called Project Drawdown that's doing a lot of research on, um, you know, what are the most impactful solutions in general? And we're using that information to um, distill it for individual actions. Like where can you take action? And I'm sure, We've all heard about food uh, as an action um, mm -hmm. and eating more plant-based. Um, and that is one that individuals have a lot of impact in. Um, but there's also, for instance, um, changing your city's infrastructure so that there are more bike lanes or bus lanes. That has a huge ripple effect um, because it's not just influencing your biking to work, but it, it promotes the ability for other people to bike to work. And so the more, basically the more ripple effect you can get in, the better. Um, uh, 
stop me from rambling, but I'm going to. No, <laughs> I think it's great. And I think it's one of the things that's so effective about, um, about climate steps and how you do it is that you really, first off, you, you recognize that we're all different and we mm -hmm. all bring something different to um, the effort, right? Whether you're yeah. talking about climate, environmental yes. protection, and and also that their steps are progression, and that for some people they're not ready to be the 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 big community organizer and activist, right. but they can get there, as you said, by climbing up the steps. Yeah. And so, just wondering how, because when you look at the individual pages, you really do sort of take people through this progression of of options, which I view as taking them along this continuum um, to more and more. Um, engaged and active steps, bigger right. steps. And just right. wondering how you, like, you know, how you came to the, to, to the place of, of bringing people along in that kind of approach. So it actually kind of started with Facebook and it goes back even a couple more steps before even starting action in that I got, I was very frustrated. Um, okay. So first I'll step back and I'll say in 2009, I had back surgery. So I was stuck and I got onto Facebook and I really, you know, got into all the different climate groups, but um, so many of them have individuals who are just complaining about the government needing to take action and, um, and nothing's getting done and, oh, this is horrible. And it, it is, you know, it is very horrible, but there was nothing there about okay, so what are you going to do about it? Um, you know, we're aware of this. We're, we were in an administration um, and other countries are in administrations that aren't going to take, you know, make that effort as needed. So we need to do something. So I wanted to change the perspective of people um, first, by having everybody in the Climate Steps Facebook group put an action with any post that dealt with something horrible. They had to put a specific action and people now love that rule and they'll ping me if a post goes in and, and there's no action with it um, because it just changes your mindset. And then from there, from, then from there, there are many options always going to be people who can't grow into community activists or don't want to. There's all, there are people who are introverts. Um, and after COVID, I now have to fight, fight that introvertism, mm -hmm. however you pronounce it. But you can, um, there are still actions they can do. But at the same time, you can also help people grow into bigger actions. And so that's kind of where the mindset started. I also um, have some teaching experience. Um, so, you know, I'm still I'm still a teacher. So how do you I think I love that. And I'm so interested, too. And in how have you in your climate step journey, you know, come across people or maybe for anyone who might be listening, it's like, you know, I don't really know where to start. Like, how do I figure this out? Cause like my mom just said, I do. I feel like you in climate steps, you really take people through kind of what they can do. So how would you encourage people who might be like, I want to take the first climate step, like yeah. how they should get started? Yeah. So a lot of it right now is through kind of Facebook mentoring and answering questions, but in, in 
the articles that we write, and there are more, more, than, more than one author now, is basically explaining the situation and then explaining kind of different options you can take. Um, but one thing we're gonna do is um, we're planning on building a tool that allows people to search for specific actions based on their motivation. Um, so for instance, um, a lot of people are doing it for their grandchildren or children. Um, I'm a biologist, so I'm doing it for species like platypuses and elephants and, and so on. Other people want to save a specific park or, or they want to save the green greenery of New Jersey or something like that. And there are different motivations and that can really help set you on the path that you want to go. So we're gonna build this tool that pulls up specific actions related to, um, you know, to those motivations, but also to barriers like costs and, um, you know, whether you wanna be social or not social and, and things like that. So. So we have a partner Earth Hero uh, app, which I also, which I co-founded about three years ago. And it, it, we're building specific actions into that. So if you go, go to the app, there's you know, the specific action of I'm gonna ride my bike to work. Um, and it, it's its own database. Climate Steps is more writing the story behind how you take action and, and mentoring people to do it and, and giving examples. But for the specifics of an action, we're building the Earth Hero database to, to kind of give background on each action. And so we're going to funnel the Earth Hero um, actions through a tool onto Climate Steps to to help people find the right actions for them. But we'll also keep writing, we'll keep storytelling. We're gonna have those pages about buildings, like how to make not only your house more efficient, but your office as well. Um, one of the issues is that climate change affects almost every single thing on the planet. So, um, so you can get very broad, but um, so, we're kind of alternating getting broad, going deep, getting broad, going deep. And um, so, uh, but, okay, let me, let me rephrase that. So we're, we're doing work, a lot of work in doing the research and writing the articles and building these summary pages, but we're going to partner with others to send people in the right directions. Cause yeah. there's no way climate steps can do everything. That's, that's what I'm saying. And um, we're gonna be a hub, basically. We are already a hub. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's awesome. the goal. So I just wanna, and you know, as a, as a 30 year activist myself, I'm very big on activism and yeah. really getting people involved and engaged. So, but I do just wanna say, and I love, that's one of the things I love about your site is that you have all of these, you know, those kinds of pieces. And oh, by the way, I just wasn't, I love that you introduce yourself as, how is it as a, a, an, an oh. informed science scientist who's active? How did you do that? 
when you I introduce don't remember an uh, opinion, well. opinionated scientist an opinionated <laughs> scientist and I think that that's really important because you know in 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 the kind of activism I do so often you know we have scientists who won't stand up for their work they right. sort of do the research and they put it on the shelf and all too often that that research isn't really helpful and then when you do have a scientist an opinionated scientist you know the other the other side of the issue tries to characterize that scientist as somehow being an ill-informed activist rather than recognizing right. that a scientist is actually somebody who is informed by their research. And so an opinionated right. scientist is a scientist who has an opinion because they've done the work yeah. to form that yes. opinion. Yes, definitely. Um, I, I have, um, I mean, you know, other scientists, well, have worked in the field for 20, 20, 30 years and, um, and they've said things through the regular pipeline, um, but now is the time. Now is the time that quote <laughs> is to uh, you know basically educate people through these. And I am opinionated because um, I need to be. I need to step out there and make it clear that. I have formed an opinion based on all this research, based on interacting with so many climate scientists who um, over the years who are scared of what's coming and then taking that and, okay, we need to do something about it. And um, I'm in a good position because I have that background, um, but I'm also, um, a people person and being able to help translate that information is very important to me. So yeah, it kind of freaked my parents out when I quit my job to do it, but you know, I, I'm at the age where that's okay. You know, we'll, we'll, I'll figure something out and, and it's going well now. Um, we've got 16 volunteers. We're looking for more than anybody wants to do research um, or graphic design or something. And um, yeah, so but, oh, go ahead. Yeah, well, I do just want to say so. I, I, you know, as somebody who really appreciates an opinionated scientist uh -huh. and activism, I do love that again in recognition that they're all different kinds of personalities. Yeah. Um, that when you go to to the social and community page, you've got lots of great steps. But then there's also have have a night of the environmentalists and just yeah. have a veggie potluck <laughs> and an outdoor movie. And you have a a link for climate songs. Understanding that right. art and music helps inspire people and makes them mindful and thoughtful. And so just you know the the diversity of what you have on the site yeah it's really fun and exciting thanks yeah and it should be interesting because one science is interesting and um you know there are there are fascinating ways to take action one one page that we're building right now is climate change games um that you know you can play with your family or something like that. So we're building that page and um, we're planning to partner at some level. We haven't decided yet with a climate art group. Um, so yeah, thank you. And yeah, and um, you know, things like um, your endeavors with the amendments um, is something 
that also should be featured in there. We've got the political section, um, but, and it, they're kind of like how to's, but what we want to also illustrate are case studies um, showing that um, people have actually taken these steps and made it work. Um, we have a lot of case studies listed for court cases, but we don't have a lot of case studies for other things yet as well. Um, so, you know, there's, it's, I, as I said, I, I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing and it's very interesting. And if only I had more time, but yeah. Um, That's what we all, yeah. so I'm, I'm curious, this is like still on, on the environmental topic, but a little bit different because you both, I, first off, everything you're saying in it, it's so powerful and it's so amazing and your, your work is inspiring. And I have always said, I feel very honored to have my mother who is my mother because it's opened up a door for me to meet so many amazing people like yourself who are just like out there encouraging other people to change the world, changing the world themselves. And I feel like really living a selfless life because I think when you do dedicate yourself to the environment or bettering the world for other people there's like a, a quote like the person who understands humanity the most is one who like plants trees whose shade you'll never sit under and that's how that's yeah, how I picture I like that this. Quote. I love it that's <laughs> how I picture everybody and I've just been thinking and just with mom with you just saying too you know like you're a scientist and people may and there's still like legislators and politicians who question that and I've been thinking this whole week with um, Katanji Brown Jackson and the Supreme Court hearing and how she's this very intelligent woman. She's worked her whole life to be here. And the, these legislators are asking her the most ridiculous questions that have mm -hmm. nothing to do with who she is, nothing to do with her expertise. And that is something that always strikes me with activists or really everyday people who are living in climate change and living with the threats every day. And they go before these politicians or they do these everyday actions. Right. And these politicians are like, yeah, but you don't know because you're not whatever random criteria because you're not up here at the podium with me, don't care. And I'm just right. curious for you, Annette, because for me, I know that I tend to get like off because I'm young and it usually happens to be this like, you haven't lived in the world long enough to oh, know. Yeah. <laughs> but for yeah. you, like you have, and not only like you've done so much. And so I like, how have your experiences been? And I don't know if you have any words of advice for people too, that maybe get like off, but it's like, you got to keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, to be truthful, I haven't interacted with politicians that much. There are a lot of other organizations that do that, but I have looked at a lot of the data. And so an encouraging point is that studies have found that politicians do tend to listen to their constituents more than scientists. Wait, I don't know if that's good, but it is a way, whoops, it is a way for people to realize that um, politicians do like to hear from their constituents. Um, and sometimes they trust the data more from their constituents than they do from scientists. So if a farmer says, look, my field is drying up and I hear that there is a, um, you know, the droughts have been horrible over time. There's this website that I follow. That's a way in for science to come in and for communication. Now saying that there have also been studies that politicians, especially at the federal level, listen to lobbyists more. 
Um, and then they do their constituents. Um, and that's pretty clear right now. But, um, but if you can find a local town hall where your um, representative is speaking, or better yet, work, work really at the local level um, in your city council or something like that, um, there are ways really to not be um, as dismissed, I guess, if you are able to like really also pull in, pull in the facts. Um, that's a way to, you know, I think, uh, so I've been called a tree hugger and I once wanted to reply, yeah, but at least I'm not a concrete pillar hugger. Um, <laughs> I love that. We're going to use that. Yeah, one. I wanted one. to, but I didn't write it down and I should have. So I've been meaning to say that for a while. Um, but um, it also studies have found that if you bring in um, actual facts, um, then you're listened to more. So a lot of people are like, oh, these, these young kids nowadays, they're full of fire, but they don't really know what they're talking about, but they do. And they're and the information is handy now for them, for people to pull it in, for anybody to pull it in. And that's one of, that's kind of why, um, things are more possible for individuals to really make a difference in the world. We have the internet now and we have the capability to really grassroots um, organize, to share information. Now misinformation shared out there, you know, a ton, um, but um, mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we have more power to influence things. And I just had an example on the tip of my tongue that I forgot. Um, but um, yeah, um, I'll come up with it after. So Annette, as a, as a scientist and a climate expert, how crazy does it make you when the misinformation does go out to say that, you know, climate change isn't real or yeah. isn't caused by people? <laughs> yeah, it is mind boggling. It's really mind boggling. Um, Yet at the same time, it's not unexpected. So I'm an animal behaviorist by training and um, I see a lot of animal behavior in our behavior. Oh we, get, we get territorial, people get territorial, they're interested in status, there's short-term thinking, there's all these things. And so, um, so I get very frustrated, but I also kind of understand why it happens. And um, I mean, there's been a lot of analysis that people turn to misinformation because they're afraid. And so um, if we address that um, and talk about their concerns and then pull in how how we can work to solve their concerns, solve the drought issues. Um, well, we won't necessarily solve them, but mitigate the drought issues and, and work with um, people to help them understand, you know, for instance, the heat waves that are coming and how contractors who work outdoors are gonna be really adversely affected. And the elderly who don't have um, air conditioning units, which a lot of people in DC don't have, um, 
trying to work with people about their concerns and kind of skip the politics section, just, just go for that route. Um, so yeah, I think that's what yeah, I want to I say. I think that's, yeah, no, I think that that's fascinating. And I think that, um, that it's very gracious, you know, how you, how you, how you think about it. And I agree with that for some people, as you said, that idea of being motivated by fear and genuine um, in intentions yeah. versus those who are doing it, um, as you said, for that territorial tribal power mm -hmm. reason and where they actually know better, but are choosing yeah, to yeah. perpetuate misinformation in order to build their power base. Um, so yeah. it's, yeah, I, I think that you're very generous, probably more generous than well, I Well, <laughs> I think there are certain people who've made a deliberate choice and I'm not generous to them, definitely. <laughs> um, especially people who are managing fossil fuel infrastructure and, and so on. Definitely not generous to them, but to people who, uh, you know, vote, um, representatives in who don't actually have their best interest in mind. Um, you know, there's a lot of misinformation and they're kind of choosing not to recognize it because they're afraid and, um, or, you know, they're genuinely misinformed. Um, and I have a lot of family who is on, who I, normally I would consider, oh, they, they can't be environmentalists. But when you talk to them point on point, we all agree and, and they get concerned um, about, you know, what's going to happen to their landscape, their farms. Uh, I come from farming country, ranching country. Um, I think another way I introduce myself is the vegetarian daughter of a Texas cattle rancher. And so, um, yeah. So anyway, um, I think that a lot of people um, also just don't know where to turn. It's hard to know who to trust. Um, a lot of people in the past haven't really interacted with scientists because the scientists were always a, a, um, a layer away. Their work got interpreted by media, which, uh, you know, then, um, wound up in the news or something like that, or their work got interpreted by their organization who then did a PR piece and then the media posted it. There's been kind of this isolation of the scientists directly from um, the public. And so bringing scientists closer to um, the actual, you know, sharing of information and getting that information out there more directly um, is helpful. So, yeah. That, and it is really helpful. And there is nobody who can better deliver your scientific findings and message and expertise and opinions than you, the scientist. So I think yeah. that's a, also a really great observation that that really is a change and it is helping to make change. Yeah, yes, um, I agree. I think also the scientists are more willing because they need to, um, one, I think um, more extroverted people are becoming scientists, then I, I don't know, I'm making that up, but 
that's my gut no, feeling. I, think, I feel like yeah. you're right. We just had from Delaware Riverkeeper an hour a couple of weeks ago, we had Byron Riggins who does advocacy work, but is also a scientist. And I think Byron is a very outgoing person and not who I think I typically think of as a scientist. Right. You also like, you are a very outgoing person. I wouldn't typically have that image in my brain. So I think you're right. Yeah. I've changed over time. Definitely. But yeah, I was, I was such an introvert when I went into school, but yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I think, uh, science, science is interesting. I think another way to get people closer to, um, actual science, but also to make a impact is through citizen science, um, joining, you know, um, Citizen science is basically where citizens help a scientist collect data, um, sometimes even analyze it, sometimes even publish it. And um, now, even more than before, we need um, large scale environmental studies and that requires often citizen science. And so people can get involved that way and they can understand the process more. Um, and yeah. So, um, so that's, that's where my heart warmed one time when a couple of Climate Steps followers actually went down and, and did citizen science on coral reef restoration. And uh, they were huge SCUPA fans. So, um, but there, there's a group out there called SciStarter and they, um, SciStarter.org, and they're a clearinghouse for different citizen science activities you can do. Um, so yeah, I love that. So as we wrap up, Annette, yeah. we want people to be able to, you know, find you. I'll of course like attach links in the description, but I always say at the start of every episode that we talk about intense things sometimes, but we always want it to be like an inspiring thing because I feel like yeah. sometimes climate change stuff is like, oh, there's no yeah. hope, but we're like, no, there is. Let's keep going. So I don't know if you want to like talk to that a little bit but also how people you know how can people get involved in climate steps where should they start and making sure too people know about your fundraiser so they can put it on the calendar guys and go help out yeah <laughs> um so climate steps is um we so the organization itself is um greatly increasing size and we intend to there are lots of actions that um, most of us are in the US. So a lot of actions are centered on US folks, but we're also global. And there are, so there are many ways for other people to um, and other actions. And we're gonna be doing chapters eventually for more specific actions. Um, really our goal is to serve people and to answer that original question, what can I do to fight climate change? So we're always coming back to that. Um, so we're, we're seeking questions, but um, to answer those questions, we need also researchers. So, um, and you don't have to be a scientist. You just have to understand how to find good data to bring it in and then we have editors and and bringing together the information um the other thing is um yeah in terms of impact that climate steps has there there are two two main ways that there's impact one it does give people hope and um we we're setting we have a mentoring 
kind of capability in Facebook, but we're going to be adding mentoring capability within the website um, to help people walk people through how to take action. But when you start taking action, you realize every step you take is is actually impactful and that there are very impactful actions. So there is that impact. And then there's the actual impact from the actions being taken. And um, we've started recording that for Earth Hero, um, how many actions are taken, how much carbon um, dioxide emissions have been reduced. And um, you know, it's, it's not just individual action. Oh, you know, so many people took so many actions. So their um, carbon is reduced, their footprint is reduced. There are the ripple effect actions um, where, you know, you've influenced people and those people have influenced people. And so, you know, there are chain reactions out there that are very important. And that's one of the main goals of climate steps is to get out there. So to help, we're at www.climatesteps.org. And there is definitely a donation page. We have a new website coming out um, uh, next month. We're reviewing it next week, actually. And um, I also personally have a Patreon page um, to support my work on uh, Climate Steps and Earth Hero. And also I lead a local group called Green Neighbors DC, um, where we're actually, you know, where I actually get to build my street cred by going out and actually doing these actions. So, um, so yeah, um, but the climate steps, you know, that's the easy URL to remember and all the money right now goes straight to research. Um, so we could, we appreciate it. And if you want to volunteer, we have a page called um, either contribute or get involved. And um, there are some different ways you can volunteer there. So did that answer all the questions? Yes, that was perfect. Okay. Okay, good. That was wonderful. Yay, and, and I have really enjoyed talking to you. I've enjoyed um, so many of your podcasts too. Um, and um, it's, it's nice to see y'all's relationship too and, and, <laughs> be, and, and working with each other on this. Um, that's really nice. Um, I will so. say I definitely adore my daughter. And, you know, you always hear about these nightmare stories about mothers and daughters, but I can honestly say I've never experienced that with Annika. We've always had a great, a great relationship and I think she's a powerhouse. So, great. so it's nice that that shines through. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it does. It does. And, um, and definitely your interest in all these different subjects that are involved in climate change. And um, so yeah, so hopefully we can stay in touch and um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Thank this is you. Awesome. Thank you for joining us, Annette. And we'll put all that info too in the description. So if you guys want to join Climate Steps and take your first climate step <laughs> down below, it's weird because it's like just us, but obviously people are going to listen. So I'm like talking to people that right. aren't there. <laughs> right <laughs> you got it. we got it Annika we got it it's just weird I just need to communicate the weirdness for me thank you Annette. <laughs> thank we appreciate you. you okay bye, bye.
Well, I, I do, I gotta say, when she opened up with being an opinionated scientist, I was like, man, this is a woman for us. Um, and then as she was just talking, you know, she's, um, <laughs> that was really great. But, but, but it, 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 she does have a lot of fascinating um, perspectives about the distance between people from the scientists and how that is changing. I guess I hadn't really thought about that, but that is true. And in, in my years of activism, it used to be, we would take the scientific research. And as she said, we do that fact sheet, that information sheet, that mm -hmm. whatever to disseminate it to the public. But now we're really able through Zooms and podcasts and other kinds of conversations or public in-person forums able to bring experts like Dr. Anthony Ingrafia, you know, to a conversation to come and deliver their opinionated message based on their yeah. work. And it really does make a difference. Yeah. And I just think the concept of climate steps is so cool. And I think it's very inclusive in that this encouragement of like, take the first step, do this small thing. And also that your small thing can be part of a group and that's and I, I feel like sometimes we don't communicate that enough to people that like obviously it's good to do stuff on your own but hey if you're joining like your weekly bike to work trio group of people so you all don't drive a car and it holds you accountable to not driving your car because you have friends to do it with like that's great and so I just think it's a really great concept and for anybody that goes to the website it's a really great like walkthrough I think for anyone trying to figure out like where do you start your climate change protection journey um so big fan big fan of Annette and she's super inspiring another inspiring woman I just love inspiring women so much <laughs> so much so that was great so yeah anything else no no okay. I just want to say that I think you're an inspiring woman I and I really did mean it what I said at the end oh stop you say that stuff but really <laughs> I think you're you're superbly fantastic thanks that was for the cute. record that was cute that you said that I do like I did for anyone listening I do like when people say that they see how much my mom and I love each other because like yeah. I know that but it's nice when other people see it because it's like super real it it's is. so it's cute I like it yeah I appreciate it. It's nice that it shines through for people. Exactly. Like right. I'm doesn't that appear that, like yeah. I'm grinning, baring my teeth, like, hi, how are you? I love my mom. My mom's yeah. my best friend. I always say that. Um, if you think that's weird, whatever. Don't care. Um and, <laughs> wait, I've been watching a show on TLC. Extra, extra tad note for anyone here. Here's a fun insight into Annika's life. I'm watching a show on TLC called I Love a Mama's Boy. And so it's like boys that are attached at their mom's hips, which I think can be cute, but this is like, they're letting, they're giving their moms keys to their apartments with their girlfriends and their moms are just walking in or the moms are picking what the sons eat at dinner or like totally a mom went with her son to pick out lingerie for the girlfriend. And then the mom really liked a robe. So the boyfriend bought the same robe for his girlfriend and his mom. That's so weird, but that is really weird, really weird. But I was watching it because right. All the boys, all these they're grown men actually are like, I just really love my mom. Like I'm just really close with my mom. <laughs> is this how I am with my mom? I wouldn't let you pick out underwear for a lover, but no, you know what I think funny. we're more like what we think we're more like the show that I've been watching um, is Gilmore Girls. Do you know that my law school Gilmore is the Girls. opening town in Gilmore Girls? 
Oh, is it? Oh, I fun didn't fact. Well, it's, it's a really, it is a, it's a fun show. It's light. It's positive, right? So much heavy now. stuff going on. It's a positive and it is about a, a mother um, who had a, a child as a teenager and was single. So it's different than my story, but they just have this really um, wonderful relationship. Mom. Not when, not when I was well, very early on, but not when I birthed you and I didn't birth you at 16 years old. That's true. That is a different kind of heart. That is a different, different, yeah. So, but anyway, but they just have this really wonderful relationship. So it's just a really, it's a positive, great show. And I've been enjoying it. It does make me think of you and I. Cute, cute. We're a cute couple. We're a cute mom, daughter duo. Be jealous, whatever. Actually, you know, (laughs) go hug your mom. If this inspired you to go do that. (laughs) If you love your mom, go give her a hug caller say hi mom but as always thank you for joining us on green jeans this is another great episode please follow us on youtube at green amendments for the generations follow the green amendments instagram at green amendments we're on twitter uh follow this on spotify yep and also at green jeans pod on instagram that is our podcast instagram i know i just threw a lot of handles that you guys get to do it and if you really want to support the Green Amendment movement, go to www.forthegenerations.org, make a donation, big or small, helps us do what we do. We are a nonprofit, which means we rely on people money and not corporation money because we're not corrupt, guys. You ever realize how corporations and corrupt, very similar sounding. Hmm, similar. And the one thing is, if you go to forthegenerations.org, if you want to see if your um, state is active in the Green Amendment movement, you can find that out. So I, I mentioned the Delaware website, the Delaware specific website for the Green Amendment movement. But if you didn't remember what that was, just go to www.forthegenerations.org and you can find the page and find all the states where that are um, at the forefront and active. And if you don't find your state there, maybe you will get in touch and you'll be the one to make it active. Actually in the book, right? I've just just wrapped up writing the second edition of the book, got the um, text over to the publisher. And, um, And one of the things in the last chapter I do is talk a little bit about how the different Green Amendment um, efforts got started. And often it was because of a single person a Mike Neese, a Michelle Hankin, a, a Nina Beth Carden, a, you know, um, all kinds of individuals. Um, Wendy Kerner you. in Colorado. It could be you. I mean, it, it was really somebody who read my book or heard me on a podcast or a radio show and picked up the phone and got in touch. And with every single person I followed up, we got in touch and we were immediately active and engaged. And these are the states that are towards the forefront of the movement. So um, anyway, if you go to for the store, you see where your state is. And if you live in the state of Delaware, obviously Delaware needs green amendment, 97% of the rivers and streams. <laughs> I think they need some help. So <laughs> go sign a petition, go make a donation, buy a t-shirt, things like that. You know, all that fun stuff. You guys or bags. Do. We have bags, bags now, Annika. We have the cutest yeah. bags. I love a tote anyway, bag. Okay. I love a good tote bag. Yep. <laughs> Other right. Annika secret. All right, everybody. Anything else, Mom? That's it. All right. Oh, week. everyone got to see Pokey too. If you are listening to this, go watch because you'll see my mom cuddling our cute cat. 
It's fine. Don't oh, worry. My little pokey. I've had her for so long and she looks like a kitten still, but she's really a full grown cat. I'm going to be so sad. I can't, can't bear the thought of not having my pokey. I know, I know, I know. Oh, but no, when that I think was about cute. No, we're not age, getting negative. <laughs> no, but she sad... looks so cute. She looks just like a kitten. That's what's so fabulous. She's, she's like me, right? She's 15 years old, but she looks like she's one. I'm like 19 years old and I look like I'm 17. This is a right? sign. It's like amazing. This is a sign that you should never click out of our podcast before you, when you think it's over, because it's not. And you just got so many extra stuff for those of you that stayed on long enough to watch. There you go. You're welcome. All right. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Until next time. Until next time.